0: Welcome to Truncated Thoughts presented by Pre-Scouter. We focus on big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmere and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger and Dr. Michael Boat. One thing we discussed briefly last week was the idea of early diagnosis and early detection of diseases. Certainly, this is an ideal scenario as most conditions when caught early have better outcomes. But how accurate are early diagnoses and how actionable are they? Michael, let's start with you on this one. There are numerous tools out there for early diagnostics. Could you talk about a few that stand out to you as particularly innovative?
1: Yeah, of course. And, and thanks for having me. Uh, it's always nice to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's a few things to uh, to talk about today. And, and and one of them is really um a lot of the the diagnostics are disease specific, right? So detecting something that's not there in a healthy situation versus that is there in a disease situation, such as a virus or infectious disease or other diseases, it is typically much easier to do um, than something that changes in level. So you can imagine a disease where twice as much of a certain protein or whatever um, kind of molecule can cause disease. And so this has very heavy implications for the effectiveness of, of how you can diagnose. So really, how big is the window you're measuring is, is a, a big question there. However, just very briefly, and, and, and Ryan can also speak to this, I'm sure, there's quite a few developments in how sensitive some of these diagnostic tools are becoming. And there's a particularly exciting area, which is the so-called ultra-sensitive immunoassays, that can really detect very marginal increases or decreases in certain biomarkers that could contribute to disease or even
2: mixtures of some of these biomarkers. Ryan, what are your, your thoughts on that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I love that stuff. I, <laughs> I, ultra sensitive, gosh. It, it, so there are so many things that that can mean. And I I would just riff on that with actually a few buckets of technologies that I'm pretty excited by. Uh, One of them in terms of what ultrasensitivity is permitting, and if I'm using your wording incorrectly, Michael, just, you know, start shouting. Um, One of my favorites is actually this field of liquid biopsy which is for uh, cancer detection. Some of it is using immunodetection, some as others. Uh, there are a couple of startups who, uh, some of which have recently been acquired for <laughs> gobs of money, um, which are focusing on taking a patient who may or may not be at risk for cancer, uh, doing a blood draw, and then using the contents of that blood draw to assay whether or not someone has cancer. Now, Let me just sort of explain how that works, because that seems a little wild, Um, because this works even with solid tumors, not just blood cancers. The reason why it works is because any given cancer is uh, what we can call leaky, right? Some number of its cells are going to move off of the tumor and into the bloodstream, or they might shed DNA, and then that DNA might move into the bloodstream. And when you have these ultra-sensitive systems, Michael, like you were talking about, or with ultra-sensitive PCR detection methods, you can actually get – find this one little needle in a haystack, which is a uh, cancer sequence, and then say, you might be at risk of cancer. Let's do more testing. Now, I was just looking at a big trial that they have on this – Uh, one of my, one that I'm following, it's the THRIVE trial. Um, It's an interventional study. They screened 10,000 healthy women aged 65 to 75, and they detected 26 previously unknown tumors amongst these participants. The challenge, and we should totally discuss this, is that there were 101 false positives. So it's kind of what happens next. Uh, Michael, and, and there are some others, but let me take a pause there. Uh, Jeremy, first of all, does that make sense? And Michael, was that what you were talking about at all?
0: <laughs> it it makes sense uh, enough for me to say, Michael, I'm curious, what would you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I
1: think this is a, a good example of, of how you uh, can can frame ultra-sensitive. I, I think a good thing to keep in mind here is that in the case of... of DNA detection, I would say it's more of a binary uh, question, right? It's either there or it isn't a certain sequence. And so I think the problem is with interpreting some of those sequences or linking them to a certain disease. That is really going to be the trick to early on make sense of some of the data that comes from those trials. And I think that may also explain some of the false positives, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, One one thing that, uh, that I think is very interesting is, is the movement into, um, and especially for some of these essays, trying to find easier ways of performing diagnostics and increasing the frequency at which they happen. And one of the examples for that is using, for instance, saliva as a sample that can non-invasively be taken from someone highly frequently. Uh, just imagine the sort of the comparison here between saliva and, for instance, the the known brain poke by now for some of the cro- COVID <laughs> tests. Um, you can you can imagine that asking someone to give a sample each month using saliva may be a lot more feasible and therefore may increase the ability to detect something early on. One particular challenge in that, and that is something I feel is is going to be interesting to see how that unfolds, is. Some of these specimens have more or less of the target molecule you're trying to detect. So, for instance, in um, if we take cortisol levels uh, as a measure, this is fortunately enough very well present in saliva and easily detectable. But there are other molecules which are predominantly found in blood and not detectable in saliva. So, this gives you just a, an example here of how ideally uh, you do early. Uh, detection or early diagnostics um, with sensitive technologies, but you really have to think about which sample are you going to take and how are you going to achieve that?
0: So so one thing that comes to mind here is something that I've uh, come across when speaking with physicians or doctors, um, the idea of sort of over-testing um, and over-diagnosing. Sometimes doctors will, will caution their patients on testing for too many things or getting MRIs or CTs or, or blood tests out of fear of what they may find, you know, so you're kind of, you might find things that are are, are actionable too early, or you're over treating, what's your perspective on that? And is that connected to what you're describing, Michael?
1: Yeah, that, that is a very good point. And I, I think one example that comes to mind is, is, for instance, PSA testing for prostate cancer. And so, The thing to keep in mind is that usually these diagnostic tests work in a way where you test a certain level of a molecule and you compare it to the average with some form of variation in the population that's ever been measured. And so that has a a flaw to it because you're comparing an individual to an average, which by the meaning of statistics, and and, and I'm sure people can, can understand, it doesn't always mean that that person will fit within that window. And so drawing conclusions from those kinds of tests or preemptively drawing conclusions from those tests without additional searching can really be misleading in terms of diagnostics so i feel that the the danger in that is is trying to find or make sure you identify disease early on um, without comparing it to the levels within a patient so tracking something over time makes a lot more sense than individual measurements because they might throw you off there
2: does that make sense
0: yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm curious what, what Ryan, you know, you agree, disagree. Support? I mean, Michael's
2: point is exactly right. The more data points you can get, um, the easier it is to reduce false positives because, you know, while over-testing to a certain degree can be considered to be bad, it's if you do multiple of a similar test and that test isn't hugely expensive, then that's different, right? Because with testing, it's cost-benefit analysis, right? A CT scan, that's a big deal. MRI, pretty darn big deal. I mean, you're bombarding a person with radiation, right? Like, it's, if you can make these kinds of tests less invasive, or the less invasive you can make them, and the holy grail would be a test you can practically do at home, right? It's a blood akin to like a blood sugar test, right? Right? where someone can just do that at home and it's reliable getting to that point. We're not there yet, but
0: one thing I'm thinking about is kind of putting my mind in the mind of like a a hypochondriac who's convinced that they have certain diseases or they, they feel something weird and like, let's just get tests and let's get more tests and make sure, uh, what perspective you guys have on, on that situation.
2: So I just want to jump in here quickly and say the thing that I feel like I say every podcast, which is um, when you're able to use when you're able to synthesize more data types from more kinds of tests. If you can synthesize all of those into a holistic view of someone's health through one of the number of machine learning uh, groups that exist out there, you can theoretically eliminate some of these false positives. Uh, <laughs> It's just like, this is a thing that AI is particularly good at. It's the idea of reducing false positives, engaging in actual anomaly detection, and determining which of this is a blip and which of this isn't. Uh, Also, though, the only only thing I would say is that as diagnostics get more accurate and, importantly, provide more specific data, the better you are at avoiding false positives. I, I would just be remiss in saying there are some uh, CRISPR therapeutics where it's they use a graphene-based switch on a chip. It's beautiful technology. Um, one of the things about that is it can detect down to particular point mutations. And as we get to this higher level of specificity, not only with these CRISPR-based diagnostic systems, but even just with PCR, the more specific you can be about the uh, sequence you are detecting, the easier it is to avoid false positives. Yeah, I think one thing I want to add to that, I think one
1: of the major issues is that we don't really have good correlates for early disease in terms of biomarkers. And the, the reason is very logical. How, how did we detect certain diseases? Historically, someone shows up with such bad symptoms, and then we start looking into what's wrong with them, right? So we're missing out. We're slowly sort of reverse engineering our understanding as we get more and more early on in disease an idea of what's going on. We're now retracing some of those steps and correlating back some of the findings within patients to the end stage of disease. And one thing to keep in mind is that this is a really interesting um, sort of development, but some of these steps that may happen in early disease may not be sort of determinants that will... Ultimately, in a guaranteed way, lead to disease, right? You might fluctuate in certain molecules. That doesn't mean that you end up with a certain type of cancer or an autoimmune disease. And so, I think that is really a good thing to keep in mind also for people that are worried about their own health is that some of these things are reversible, some of these things fluctuate, some of these things vary from person to person. And so, understanding the basic biology will allow us to build better early diagnostics. And yes, hooray for AI as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ryan, anything else to add before? We I mean, how up? can I end on anything other than
2: <laughs> hooray for AI, right? <laughs> there you
0: go. So uh, yeah, hopefully everyone enjoyed the conversation. Certainly a lot to think about as you know, early diagnostics becomes a bigger and bigger part of, of just healthcare in general. Um, so you can certainly find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we hope that you'll join us again for our next episode, which will discuss the dynamics of COVID immunity. Until then, thanks for listening.